0: Thank you so much for joining Really Specific Stories, Andrew. It's great to have you on the show.
1: It's an absolute pleasure to be here.
0: Now, I'm going to kick off with a question that will start each of these episodes, and that is, how did you first get into podcasts? Okay, wow. That's
1: it's a good question. It, it requires me to throw my mind back
0: a really long
1: way, because I've been into podcasts since almost bef- almost before they were called podcasts, I think. It was a really long time ago. Let me think. The first thing that comes into my mind when you ask me that is I have a distinct memory of driving to work in the morning with my work-issued IBM ThinkPad computer open on the passenger seat of the car next to me. So I would be driving into work and I would have a podcast playing on that laptop. There was no iPods or devices or phones or anything that could do it. You just had a computer. And I think I think it might have been running iTunes, and I think I was probably listening to Adam Curry, who would do a daily show. He's a UK-based podcaster. I don't know if he still does it, to be perfectly honest. But he was known as the Podfather. Podfather because he was one of the first people to do podcasting. So I was listening to his podcast, so it has to be pretty early on. In the the world of podcasting. So yeah, that's that would be my first thing that I remember.
0: Now at that time, what did you enjoy about Adam Curry?
1: Yeah, I've since I was a young kid, I always listened to voice. It was something that always helped me. I When I was really super little, I used to fall asleep listening to audiobooks. and then when I got a, bit, a little bit older, I would fall asleep listening to talkback radio. Um, And then I think, um, and I fell asleep when I was older again, listening to BBC World Service Radio. So I've always been somebody who like connected to voice ahead of music or anything like that. So I think the podcasting was kind of just the next continuation of that. And I think what I really liked about podcasting was it felt more immediate and it felt like you were almost a part of a club. And particularly in those early days, it wasn't, popularized nobody else knew what it was so it was very you know trended nerdy but it was kind of you felt like you were part of something uh and i know adam curry his show was quite long each day it was like 90 minutes a day i had to work hard to find the time to listen to it hence driving to work listening to it and all that kind of stuff but he it it sort of evolved like any show evolves it, it evolved and you got to know the running gags and you got to know the characters that were in the show uh, and you got to, you know, look forward to segments that would come up, you know, either every day or every now and then. So it was just this sort of, um, you felt a part of something. And that was for the Adam Curry one. And then on with other podcasts, I guess it's it's much the same. It's that being part of something and having a, a community. Um, and you feel like you get to know the people in your ears.
0: So you mentioned the power of voice over music. What was it about... Voiceover music for you in that early time. I think,
1: I think music, music was okay to suit a particular mood, but I think I always needed brain food. My, I think my personality type is I always want inputs and I want to learn and I want to be actively engaged. And music to me never really hit that chord. It was, it was if you're doing something else, you just need something in the background. That's fine, but but listening to people and listening to voice, um, you know, if you're not doing something actively, you know, work-related or, you know, using your own brain, I would much rather walk around a park listening to people talk than walk around a park listening to music. I just find music boring. Um, so I think having that, those voices, it activated my brain and it let me almost, you know, have a conversation with them, Even, but it was very lopsided. I was only thinking my thoughts and not able to respond, but It was still kind of good. It's like like overhearing a really interesting conversation at a dinner table, you know, that's that's not yours because their life is infinitely more interesting and stuff than what you've got going on. (laughs) (laughs) So you can listen to theirs instead.
0: (laughs) You said that word club in there, right? And I think that's interesting. You said that the conversation was one-sided because you were listening to Adam Curry or other podcasters of the time. Were you part of a wider club or when I say that, were you talking to other people about this interest or was it limited to just listening? Um,
1: it, it was really just limited to listening, especially in those early days if you want to limit it to that. There was nobody else you could talk to about it because people didn't know what you were talking about. If you mentioned podcasts, you'd get a bit of an odd look or you'd have to explain it's kind of like a it's like a radio show, but on your computer. Um, people didn't get it. It was hard to get access to these things. It wasn't super simple. iTunes was probably the one that made it easiest to begin with. And then you had that classic demarcation period, which I guess you would know, and everybody who knows anything about podcasts, Serial, right? When Serial hit, it suddenly became a normalized thing. And I remember when Serial came out, I was like, finally, people are getting it. Like, this is not this is not new to me. I'd been, you know, by that page, stage, you know, it's probably I'd eased off on the Adam Curry and moved into the Leo Laporte of the world and all that kind of stuff, all the tech shows that he used to do. And, but yeah, I guess in terms of having a club and somebody you could talk to about it, I, I had nobody else. Um, it was, yeah, you know, there was nobody in my, my circles that were kind of was as nerdy as me that you could talk to about it. And there wasn't, there weren't the discord servers out there and the, the chat rooms you could find on the internet to talk about them. So I was just kind of in my own world doing my own thing and knowing that there's other people in more interesting parts of the world, like in the in America and the US and UK where people are much more engaged and enlightened. So I know being in Perth always felt like a like oh, country Perth, like people have no idea over here. They're so behind the times. And I felt like a fish out of water because, you know, like I'm just this unique dude listening to podcasts.
0: So we've met each other online with a great distance between us, you know, across the continent. Yeah. But that's way later than this. You moved from Adam Curry through to podcasts like Leo Laporte's. What was the path from there through to and beyond Serial that led you to finding those people? Uh,
1: led me to finding the... The, the the other people in the podcast world, you mean, like yourself? Is that
0: yeah, your 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 club, as you said.
1: Um, well, it took a long time, um, and I think if I think back, it was that I continued to listen to podcasts. listen, listen, listen. Bill Simmons doing the basketball stuff, the, all the tech stuff, then Real FM and Five by Five, Dan Benjamin's network. Um, was quite big for quite a time. So that's probably, yeah, I could sort of, the eras are almost like the podcasting networks that I listened to, whether it was the ESPN stuff, 5 by 5 Real AFM, yeah, and, and that sort of world. Um, so I think in terms of finding them, as those networks built critical mass, they were also able to build communities of critical mass as well, and the technology platforms that they had available to them improved. So they started to build, whether it was Slack chat groups or discourse forums or Discord groups, you know, all the, dis, all the discourse, there's so many of those names. But they were able to build those groups around them, um, even Reddit, you know, like so, Hello Internet, I was just thinking was another great podcast of the time. They, were, they had enough oomph behind them that people got engaged and so I was able to sort of sidle into those groups as well. But the thing I really noticed is I, even though I sort of joined those groups, I'm not like a huge joiner of groups. And I think ultimately I still sort of enjoyed this is my budget with these people. I have like 90 minutes a week listening to these people or whatever, and that's enough for me. I don't want to go further than that. I think the classic example is probably ATP. Accidental tech podcast It started out You know They each had their own podcasts And then they did a show on cars Called Neutral And then they turned into this tech podcast And that's huge It's probably the biggest tech podcast out there I have zero interest in Joining their message rooms Their chat boards Listening to their live shows I don't care about any of that I just want to listen to their Two hour show every week And that be it And to me that's club enough (laughs) To circle around to the club thing,
0: when it comes to interacting with different groups, you mentioned a bunch of different forums, groups, social networks. How you apply your budget of time? Yep. How do you decide which ones you want to become more invested in and communicate with others? How do you determine that budget?
1: Yeah, it's 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 difficult because it's much easier to add than subtract with podcasts. You always you sort of come across a new one, and you um, I'm quick to add it. But um, I'm less quick to delete ones that have gone in the past. And I'm also a bit of a completionist. I, I don't like – if I subscribe to a show, I kind of find that I want to listen to all of them. I don't like just looking at the, the synopsis and going, "Now nah, I'll skip that one this week. I feel like I'm cheating somehow, which is dumb, but it's how my brain works. So in terms of, you know, which ones do I engage with and how do I find the time, I is the topic of interest to me? Do the hosts – do they have a good rapport and an enjoyable way to listen to, you know, is it, is it pleasing to the ear? Is the editing and sound production really good? Like if it's really low sound quality, I don't care how good they are. I just can't, can't do it. So they're kind of like my listening thresholds. And then am I going to go to the next level and engage in the community? It probably comes down to, is it scratching a particular interest, itch of mine, that I can apply? Am I going to learn something from the community? And that's where I think um, that probably the one that jumps out in terms of doing that the most for me is the Mac power users podcast. That podcast, like I almost stop. I don't learn anything from the podcast itself anymore because I've kind of learned it all. You know, you listen to 500 shows of anything and you're going to be pretty well across it, but I still learn stuff from their community on their, um, their discourse forum. And that's a place I still go to and I I read more than I write, but I read it religiously and I really enjoy that community. And I feel like it's, I think I'm looking for something that's positive and supportive and helpful. I'm not looking for just random chit chat and, you know, water cooler talk when I'm engaging with the community.
0: And you still listen to Mac power users today?
1: I do. Yes. That's one of the ones that's been, I've listened to, it. I almost feel like I, I kind of have to, I've been listening to it since it launched and um, yeah, I, I occasionally skip one of their episodes, but I would have listened to 95% of them. It's, I don't know why I just, I just do it. I do listen to it at about 1.6 times speed though, because Americans talk slowly.
0: Oh, and do you, you only do that with American shows? The Mostly. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yep. Americans just talk way too slowly. I can, I think Australians we zip through our language, and Americans are really slow talking about things. And so, when you listen at one time, it gets a little tedious. So <laughs> you can crank it up, and then you could talk. You know, we can get we can get going, and you could churn through a lot more podcasts. <laughs>
0: It would be interesting to know if Americans ever do half speed on Australians then. <laughs> they might have to. I, don't, I doubt they would speed us up. I think they would really
1: struggle. But Americans, whew, man, they're slow. So I have no problem, no problem speeding them up that's at all. That's very interesting.
0: Well, it's good that the tool exists then.
1: <laughs> it is. And that's why you can't use stock apps, right? <laughs> you got you got to use, a, you gotta use a, a, a bespoke application to, to get the best sound quality.
0: Now I know we've discussed it before, but people switch all the time. Which app are you using then, if not the stock one? Okay.
1: So I am back on Overcast. Mm-hmm. I actually don't like its interface, but I love its audio engine. So if if you could give me a podcast app that was pocket casts in terms of its the way it works and overcast in terms of the audio engine, that's what i'm looking for actually maybe even actually maybe even castro ahead of pocket casts for an interface i like the castro one castro doesn't sync to an ipad right so i can't use it so it's got to have it's got to have a sync across multiple devices and it's got to have a really good audio engine and overcast ticks those boxes but i think it's ugly
0: and stock apps don't what are those other advantages Um, for you
1: they're the main ones stock app well, the apple podcast app is absolutely confusing in terms of somebody as well who likes to maintain like a quite a list, like a list of regular shows it's very vague in terms of have you listened to this one or have you not and is it still stored on your device or have you has it been offloaded it's just really vague and i don't get the i feel like it's designed for somebody to just dip in and just ask siri to play the latest episode of you know hamish and andy Yeah, rather than I'm a nerd and I have this set series of shows that I listen to, that doesn't feel like the use case it's been built for, whereas the other ones are much more about, yeah, you're a a collector or what have you of podcasts and you take this stuff seriously and you want finicky settings. for So, yes, the American shows you want to play at 1.5 times, the Australian ones you don't, and you can customise all that. So that's kind of what I'm looking for.
0: Okay, so there's a difference in the level of enthusiast In using these apps. Yep. With that in mind, and the fact that you've been listening to Mac Power users for so long, how many shows do you think roughly, or can you give me an idea of the suite of shows that you're listening to that need to be managed in this alternative kind of app?
1: Um, Well, I would kind of say all of them. I think, I don't know if that's really answering the question. I just, I can't imagine using an app that doesn't give me that kind of control. Um, so I think it would be all of them, and mm. I think on my library at the moment, I don't have my phone with me. I've got my iPad. It's probably only I probably am subscribed to maybe twenty shows, twenty five shows, which probably isn't a lot, but they're they're all shows that I actively listen to. So that does add up.
0: <laughs> Given that so, it comes back to that budget, yeah. So it's twenty regular installments throughout your yeah, week or which fortnight, is, which is pretty nuts if I say it like that.
1: That's why I have to listen to 1.5 speed. Otherwise, my backlog is going to get out of control pretty quickly.
0: <laughs> and are, are all of those shows tech or mostly tech? How would you say yes, that divide?
1: I have sort of three, three categories. Um, and, in fact, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I'm just going to remind myself and look at Overcast as I do this. I'm sorry.
0: You're allowed to. There can be source material. So... My
1: Overcast has, yeah, three three categories. So I've got bedtime category. I've got a basketball category. And then I've got, I used to have a technology category, but then it was just overwhelming. So I've just done away with that. And that's just all episodes. Bedtime is my news podcast. So that's kind of stuff like BBC um, from our own correspondent. It's Australian politics. Uh, they're, they're the kind of the the, pig, the big sort of... And um, 99% Invisible, they're the kind of shows I'm looking at in that bedtime kind of soothing, nice radio voice to fall asleep to. And also, again, getting back, that's factual. Uh, there's a lot of fact, fact-based sort of documentary style in there. It's what I, what I like. Um, then I have a basketball category, which is a bunch of different Australian NBL-related basketball podcasts. I'm a big Australian NBL guy. I host an, an MBL podcast as well. So I kind of listen to listen to my own podcast to, to get better and listen to other people's to kind of get their insights and thoughts and and that kind of thing. So that's another category. And then I have everything else, which is basically tech shows. It's you know core intuition. It's all the it's relay FM stuff, it's Dan Benjamin stuff. I've actually cut down that area quite a bit recently i I went through and culled a bunch of shows because i was like i'm hearing different people talk about the same stuff too much and it was feeling repetitive so i went through and sort of culled that right down so they're the sort of the three the ways i i carved them up three three main categories
0: you mentioned that there was a factual element to some of the news or politics or political shows yep how would you describe the difference in feeling between listening to the majority of your tech shows and things around bedtime or that are of that informative group that you identified?
1: The, the news and the politics stuff, it's very, um, it's edited. It's the shorter, they're more structured. They have, you know, almost like they have almost more like a radio show. They have a runtime and they, they aim to hit that runtime Um, And it will be pieced together with perhaps, you know, segment clear and defined segments, whether they're different reports from people or segments within a show. But it's like, we're going to talk about this now and they go on like that, but they don't have chapter markers and yeah, it's sort of the the things you would expect. You might expect to see. it's kind of like, this is our, our radio show and we've packaged it up and into an MP3 bang. There you go. But they are highly produced. They sometimes have pre- and post-roll ads, that kind of stuff. You move to the tech, it's much more hobbyist, enthusiast kind of approach to it. It's people talking to other people who think the same way, uh, whether that's good or bad. That's, that's how it comes across. It's almost like there is a, a baseline level of knowledge we expect you to have for you to be even listening to this show. They are much more meandering. They <laughs> go around in circles, and but then they have they have the, the chapter markers and they have those sorts of things as, as well. They have ads. Many of them have ads now as well, but they're usually not. They're usually host read. They're not dynamically inserted ads. So it's a very different vibe, um, and it feels they're much more chatty. It's people talking about things they're interested in. So they're they are that hobbyist
0: style. It sounds like there's a combination of the voice that you like and these affordances are important to you. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, for me as well, it's like the the, poli- the, the political and news stuff, that could be read by anybody. And you kind of get to know the host's voice and stuff, but it could be anybody that, as long as they're giving you the information or the news or what have you. Whereas with the, the tech stuff, it's like I'm listening to it because I want to hear these people's opinions on this stuff, this news that I could find anywhere, um, I care less about the news or the facts. I care more about the the op ed. Like, what do they what do they think about it? That's, that's kind of the difference.
0: And before I lose that point in those categories that you brought up, the other one that you mentioned was basketball, and you said that you started to produce your own basketball podcast content and even listen to yourself. How did you go from listening? to producing it
1: yes that was um
0: (laughs) that was probably my my that was the
1: big big break i don't know (laughs) a bit bit of a stretch call it a big break right but for so long i've been a listener of podcasts and i felt like i knew what a podcast was all about and i understood the technology behind it but i never had the confidence to do one myself i thought what have i got to say how would i find an audience and why why would anybody bother listening to it so the first thing I did was I tried, I, I eventually got over that hurdle and I thought, I'm just gonna try it myself. And I created my, um, my own podcast that was called Keep Practicing. And that was a just a trial run through on the micro.blog platform. And it was just an effort by me to trial different things. Just trialing, reading a pod, you know, making some notes and reading a podcast from that, making a podcast and then doing a guest interview and making a podcast out of that. And it was practicing all the elements of what goes into it. So it was editing, it was, you know, thinking about sh- a run sheet for the show, of finding guests, just really like learn by doing. And that ran for a little while, and I got better at it. And one of the things I wanted to do was I there was a podcast that I was listening to about MBL at the time, and the guy had a really nice radio voice, and I thought. And I liked the way he talked about basketball. I liked his, his approach, his, the way he thought about it and talked about the game. And I thought, i tell you what, this is outside my comfort zone, but I'm going to go to him and I'm going to send him a message and say, I'm doing this little podcast on the side. Do you want to come on and be a guest of mine and talk about your show? And that was going to be for 20 minutes, you know, kind of 20 minute, half an hour conversation. We got on the call and we spoke for probably two and a half hours that first time. And it was just like, wow, (laughs) that you left me a heck of an editing job for my own show. So thanks for that. Um, But just the two of us hit it off and we both had this real understanding of one another about the game of basketball. And it just went from there. And we said, well, let's, that was really fun. Let's do this again. There was an American tournament coming up called the basketball tournament. It's kind of a knockout thing where they play for a million bucks. Winner takes all. Um, And we said, let's, just trial something. Let's watch all these games and then do a daily podcast on it. And, you know, so, I, so we did it. We both committed and we were taking game notes. And then we'd, we'd come to do a recording every day for about, you know, just over a week on this tournament. And it was just so smooth and easy. And we're like, this, this is gold. And he said, like, it's hard work doing a podcast by myself. Could you join me on the NBL Pocket Podcast? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like my dream come true. And we've just gone from there and it's been amazing to see it grow. And I think it's definitely grown and become a better show with having me as well. So it's just, and it's so much fun. I love it. We're on a bit of a break at the moment because it's off season. So we're both having a bit of a rest from it, but I'm um, looking forward to getting back into it again as the NBL season cranks up.
0: And how have you found since having success with this and transforming the show into a conversational format how have you found balancing listening and producing that content? Um,
1: I that's the one downside is that I don't get to listen to the show as a as a as a listener anymore. Yeah, and I miss it. <laughs> so sometimes sometimes Joe, the other host, will do one by himself just for you know whatever reason. I can't make it or he's just had an opportunity to do it. And I love those shows because I can listen it to it back as as any normal person. I listen to it now when we're on it. I do listen to most of them to, to learn how I'm presenting things. And I, I, I catch myself with verbal ticks and that kind of thing. Because the way we do it is we just almost do a record to tape. We just push record, talk for 45 minutes, push stop and shove it out. It's very just no editing or anything. And for a sports show, that kind of works quite well. But you do notice then there's no hiding from your your foibles. So all the you knows and uhs that you say, yeah, they're they're made quite apparent when you're listening to yourself.
0: <laughs> and you mentioned editing was very important, or at least emphasized in some of those news shows that you listen to. Basketball isn't. Yep. What about tech? Do you enjoy that edited side or do you think it's less important? Ha- How's it's it probably somewhere out, in right? the middle,
1: uh, in that it doesn't need to be absolutely precise. Uh, but what I am finding, I'm finding that the quality or the the effort that's being put into tech show editing these days does seem to be declining. And I think it's the nature of the beast, in that these they're all they're mainly all connected to almost like one. It's almost become a bit too insular. There's this you know like Relay FM is the big fish in the in the pond of of the world that I'm in. And they all all these hosts know each other and they all do cross podcasting. And that's one of the reasons I got rid of a bunch of them. But also it seems like they're just pumping so many of these shows out now that they don't care so much about the craft of the shows anymore. It's more about we've got 90 minutes of content we need to fill and we need to do 90 minutes because we need to put four ad slots in and we just got to ramble. And chop, 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 put the ads in, and that'll do us. And they, I really feel that they don't edit enough anymore. I feel like they used to be better. Um, so I think the tech world needs more editing and isn't getting it. But it doesn't need to be as precise as what those, you know, four-minute, four 45-second BBC snippets are going to be.
0: A higher expectation for tech than sport, that that's what you have. Yes, but not quite as high. Yeah, whereas sport is,
1: sports just a, a thing of emotions, right? At the end of the day, it's entertainment, and it's emotions, and having somebody go off, you know, make half half baked claims is almost the, half the fun of sport. So that's 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 okay. Uh, I think that creates enjoyment when people get you know, gets animated and get fired up about a topic that ultimately doesn't really matter. I think that's that's fine for sport. I think it's enjoyable.
0: From the beginning of the discussion, you mentioned this idea of being in a club. Yep. You've got your sports club. You've got your tech club. That started as a more solo or uh, solitary activity. Yep. But you've met people, I understand, across different networks that you mentioned. What does that community look like for you now? You said you've from some shows. What are the different networks or people you're interacting with now through okay, technology. So
1: I think for me there's two major clubs maybe three clubs I'd say there are for me. Firstly there's the um there's NBL Twitter. So um, NB, or NBL so and then NBL is on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Twitter is not something that I particularly love as a platform and I had some issues with it and I re- recalibrated myself to I only deal with Twitter if it's about basketball in Australia, and that's it. In the NBL world as well, the NBL Pocket Podcast, which is my other show, I created a Discord server for it and for the listeners of it. So I almost bootstrapped community myself because I didn't really like Twitter. And I was like, well, Discord seems to be a good place to do that. And that's been fantastic. It's not a huge community. it's not, But the people that are in there, I feel like that's a genuine community. And that's got its own legs now. Um, and we're all in there for the same purpose, and that's to talk about this sport that's underrepresented in Australia, but we all love it. Um, so that's that's one club. Uh the other one is probably like I mentioned the other the 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 other podcasts I've talked about already, a couple of discourse servers and that kind of thing. The other major club is the show that you may be familiar with, and that's one called Hemispheric Views. Mm. Uh Yes, I do. Yeah, know that it's, one. it's a good yeah. show, apparently. <laughs> apparently that at least two of the hosts are excellent. That that would be Martin Feld and Andrew Canyon, two excellent hosts. The third the third host, oh, Jason oh, okay. Burke. He's a little sketchy, but we keep him around. Uh, okay. That show has got sort of two community elements I see. There's the first one through micro.blog, which is almost like an independent Twitter slash blogging service, and that's how we all met. I think you could possibly boil it down to that. And there's a lot of our listeners have come from that world. And so there's a bit of community there. But then we also have our own Discord server. And that's, again, not a huge number of people. But the people that are in there, you, you you banter with a lot. And I feel like there's a really close-knit connection between the people that are on that show. Probably the final element, I know I'm rambling a bit here, talking a bit about this community stuff. The one amazing thing that I think has happened through The podcasting that I've done is that there's this, just with one person in particular, as I use him as an example, I hope he doesn't mind. He is a listener to both Hemispheric Views and MBL Pocket Podcast. He and I are very similar in the way that we see the world, I think. And over the years, only through doing these podcasts, have I met this person. And now he has become, to me, a, a good and growing friend and somebody that I'm now seeing in the real world um and getting along with really well and i think it's amazing that that has happened never have i seen for me personally the internet translate into meet space you know where you you talk to somebody online and then you meet them in real person and they live up to what they are online and it's um that's been quite quite
0: fun and that's through as you said a relationship through two podcasts for which you are a producer of both and he is a listener of both. Yes. How's that dynamic? Yes,
1: well, I know. And you think, oh, gosh, he's like a fan.
0: <laughs> he's. he's it, it's interesting to think about.
1: How do you approach it? Am I um, you know, just a Bieber and meeting my peeps? I'm not. No, no. It's That's the good thing about this indie podcasting is that it's it's small and it's not big money and you are still just a normal person. Um, and he's a normal person, and we just happen to like the same things. I happen to talk about them into a microphone every now and then, but that doesn't by any means diminish, you know, his interest or knowledge of the subject as well. And so when we talk, we we meet and we meet as equals, and it's just just like two dudes chatting. <laughs> but you're right. If it got massive, and somebody like from a from another place wanted to meet, then you'd be like, oh god, they they're not they're not a fan, are they? That that would be a bit weird. Um, fortunately, I don't think either of us are in the place where we're that popular yet.
0: So it's a very genuine connection. Sounds
1: like yeah, absolutely. And that that's been the most obviously you know getting. I've gotten to know you and Jason, for instance, and Joe on Pocket Podcast and that kind of stuff. Mm. Of the so off the but of those three hosts I've just mentioned, yourself included, the only one I've met is Joe from MBL Pocket Podcast. Every other connection I have. I've never met you in real life, which is super weird. So the fact that uh, this other person I'm talking about, I have met them in real life and that is, that's very different. And it's, it's super rewarding that just putting yourself out there in terms of making a podcast has created a friendship, you know, I, and, I'm, I'm a person who doesn't have a huge circle of friends in the normal world. So if I can add one more friend, that is like awesome because they're not easy to find.
0: It is an interesting point you bring up because we talk to each other every fortnight habitually through a video call that we record and then, you know, smattering throughout the week, you know, over text or discord or whatever. And yet we've never actually physically met. Yep which is very, very odd, like you say. In terms of the interaction that you have, whether it's on micro.blog or Twitter or in Discord, between these two different groups, do you have a difference in the feeling of the fandom that you're essentially overseeing or facilitating as a producer, one being with sport, one being with tech, because the tools are similar. Yeah. yeah. But are there differences? How would you explain those two different fandoms? Yeah,
1: it's, it's... You're right. The tools are similar. The tools are identical. We're both – they're both basically running on Discord servers has become the, the place to be in terms of these, this community building. I could probably most reflect differences in the way that I am in the two different communities. Like I can re- – with the Hemisphere views people, I can really nerd out and I can really focus on my nerdery. But I feel like if I go too nerdy on the, on the basketball side – no, I don't worry about being belittled or laughed at or anything like that. I just think people won't get it. <laughs> you know, it's, just like, it's not their thing. Um, and so where I guess what I found most gratifying about it is that I feel like personally I've got this super weird split personality and I always have where I'm this kind of like sports guy but also introverted nerd. And that's a really odd mix and I've never found – Another person that has that exact same split. And so, and I still haven't really, you know, exactly found it. But at least this way, it allows me to maximize each of those two halves of me in those two groups. And maybe like never the twain shall meet. I don't really, because the the hemisphere views people, if I try going too basketball y, like, you know, you and Jason quickly pull me into line by stop talking about that sports ball. Uh, you know, so it doesn't it doesn't work there either. <laughs> so I just have to accept the fact that I need to be I'm two different people.
0: And yet you have this friend in, as you said, meet space who is at the nexus of both of those things or a listener of both of those shows. So when you're together having a discussion or a coffee or whatever it is that you do, do those two worlds meet?
1: They do and I find the two we probably lean a little bit towards the basketball side, but mm. I don't think that's because neither of us would be willing to go to the hemispheric views world. Um, I think it's just the way it has happened to play out. It's he—he he is probably the closest to the version of me, like my cl- the closest doppelganger, if you like, that I've ever met. And it's it's really weird because it's you know I haven't known him that long but it's like you think oh, this this guy could actually be a really good friend <laughs> and it's I don't want to over you know, over egg it but it's kind of cool it's just a cool thing to have had happen
0: and from here where do you see or want things to go because you're juggling quite a bit it sounds as a producer and listener yeah of I, all know. Of these I sometimes
1: wonder how long like and I was yeah this is just this side of it, I've also I've got a a real job, I've got a family, two kids, you know, looking after a house, <laughs> yeah, you know, all those sort of normal life tasks still need to be done. Still got to go to go to Woolworths and do the grocery shopping, like all those normal facts of life thing are there, and you know I'm doing uh, podcasting has led to me being an NBL one basketball commentator some nights as well. Fine, chuck on another thing. So sometimes I wonder how can I keep doing all this? But every time I get a bit uh, about doing podcasting or what have you, or even listening to them, if I take away the listening, I I realize that I miss them. And every time I do a podcast, I realize how energized I get from doing them. And I'm like, there's nothing else that I do that I get such like just immediate enjoyment from it's probably the closest thing I can say is I used to play basketball and there's something about playing basketball that is immediate and brilliant and I miss it every day even now because I can't do it when my knees are shot and I'm old and broken down podcasting is probably the closest thing I've got to that just immediate performance art if you want to call it that you just do it you know especially when you're, you're the recording part of it you're just doing it and it's fun and you just run with it and it's in the moment and time flies by and you're in that zone. So I don't, I think whatever I end up doing, or however I end up balancing my life, I need to maintain this as part of it, whether, whether the topics and shows stay the same or what have you, but I really, I really enjoy this and I'm not even introvert, extroverted. I, I'm an introvert. So I don't even
0: get why I'm doing it.
1: <laughs> it makes no sense to me. <laughs>
0: And in all of that, you said that you've also become a commentator. Now that's live, am I correct? Yes. Yeah, that is live. And that's, th- that would be another sort of energy. So how did you come to commentate and what does that involve?
1: Yeah, so this is NBL um, 1, which is the, uh, the level below the National League. There's the state leagues in each state. They, they've, every one of those games is live streamed. So they're put on their website and their apps and all that, and the game is broadcast, and they have commentators who talk the game as it's streamed out. One or two of those games each week goes on to the um, KO service, which is kind of like the the sports, what do you call it? It's like cable TV, but for the internet age.
0: Yeah, sports streamer, really. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that one of those games goes out. So if you if you happen to be doing that game, you are kind of like the KO commentator as well, which is a bit more kudos so how i came to do that was people in the so i do it for one particular team uh the perth redbacks and those people got to know my wife and then i got to know them through her and then they found out that i do this basketball podcast and they're like hey and i used to play basketball like well you know the game and you can talk into a microphone well we need a commentator So you're our guy. (laughs) I was like, well, it's very different. (laughs) I've never commentated a game. Like, what do we do? And they're like, we just do it. So I just did it. And I found out after doing the first game, being nervous about it, went in there and absolutely loved it. It's like you said, it takes a different kind of energy. It's instant. And you got to like, just talk as you see things. But it was like, I love it so much. If that could be my full-time job, that's I would love that to be my full-time job.
0: I just think it's fascinating that you've brought up this particular order of events. Because I think when people think podcasting, podcasting is something that came chronologically in history after radio. And you see more and more people going from radio or some other live broadcasting environment to this on-demand setup. You've done it the other way around. Yeah. So what do you think of that? What do you think of that transition to doing a live thing later? And concurrently, obviously, but moving in that direction. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's it's funny. And it's, I mean, I don't really have an answer as such. Um, it's more just a reflection on, I don't think that I would have had the courage or the skill to do the commentary if I hadn't previously done podcasting. So as much as I laughed about those people saying, oh, you did podcast podcasting, you're talking to a microphone, you're good to go. To an extent, that is true mm. because I've built the confidence to be able to just talk, right? And sometimes I know I'll say dumb things or I'll make a mistake. Just push on, like just keep going, don't worry about it. And I think I would have been too anxious and lacking confidence in my own ability to do the commentary if I'd not gone through this podcasting process. So I'm glad the way it worked out. Yeah, I don't know what else to say
0: besides that. No, no, that's fair. So underlying all of that, there's a kind of technical knowledge that you have. You're engaging in sports content, which may or may not have anything to do with the tech fandom that you engage with in other podcasts. But how has that technical knowledge helped you? Was that important when they brought you on board, that whole comment of you've been behind a microphone? Or is that less so? It actually
1: hasn't been too important mm. in terms of you know the technical skill of you know knowing how to edit a podcast and do all those and get an RSS feed and all those sort of things. Totally irrelevant. What the only real technical skills I've been able to transfer is like how to speak into a microphone, like just being aware of your your plosives um, and pointing the pointing the microphone. You know, maybe slightly off axis, but you know, getting that bit right and, and just and. Minding your levels, you know, so you don't scream too much when something exciting happens. You, you you blow the blow the levels off, but other than that, it this the technical element of managing a podcast hasn't been directly relevant to doing the live stream stuff. But it has required like preparation. Preparation is the key for everything. So before every basketball game, that I'm going to commentate. I do it. I spend. You know, an hour or two in front of the computer, you know, understanding where the teams are at, understanding what the storylines are about them, getting to know who are the key players and what are they getting the statistical breakdowns for them. With a podcast, you kind of, it's helpful to do the same thing. Do a bit of pre-prep and think about what you're going to say and what are the issues at hand. So preparation is key.
0: And there's a lot of research involved. So you mentioned that it could be or that you'd like it to be a full-time job. What do you think that would be like?
1: Being a as basketball commentator
0: or podcaster or, yeah. Podcaster, commentator, basically whatever you're referring to.
1: It would be, you know, I think I think the time that you would spend in front of the microphone, if you're going to make a real good go of it, that's the, it's like any endeavour. I think that's the performance period, but the performance period is is probably not the biggest effort, period. It's like if you're an actor, you know, rehearsals take up a lot more time than the show. Or if you're a basketball player, you spend a lot more hours training and at the gym than you do playing a game. And I sort of think this stuff, if you want to do it professionally and you want to really hit a home run, it's kind of the same thing. It's about doing your
0: work behind the scenes. That's a great message, I think, for anyone who's looking at actually getting into podcasting. There is a lot of effort on that. I think you've given me a lot of great history and and views on your different fandoms and how you've produced and listened. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you would like to mention or something in your own story that's gone unnoticed?
1: Um, I think probably the thing that I, we haven't really spoken about very much is- Hemispheric Views as the podcast that we do together. Sure. And I think I just want to make it really clear that it has become – it's it's a true joy. And that show is, I think, something unique and special. And I think the biggest thing – the biggest problem I have with it is because it's so unique and special, it's really hard to explain to people what it is. And I find myself, what is our show? So like I, I have a hard time promoting – it because i don't quite know how to encapsulate what this thing is but it's a show that like any of these things over time it builds its own momentum and its own personality uh and i think it's 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 a classic example of how these these sort of fan-based enterprises can develop and build lore around them and i Again, I don't want to overcook it. I'm really get putting both of us on the back at the same time, so it's a bit of a—it's you know, not very Australian thing to do—is <laughs> to say how great we are. But I really think it's a cool show, and what it has done for me is it's—is it's really given me like a new lease on life in a sense. I, I and I look at you know as you and Jason, and sometimes I catch myself because I'm like. I'm too old to be doing this stuff. Like why, why, like why would you want to talk to me as an old man? <laughs> and I, and, I, and it's like, I, sh- if only, I keep saying if only I'd done this show 10 years earlier, it would have been way cooler because I would have been younger, but then you couldn't do it 10 years ago. Cause the, it wasn't a thing that could be done. But yeah, I don't know. I just think Hemispheric Views is an amazing show and it's giving me, it's, it's taught me heaps about podcasting. It's taught me heaps about communicating and it's given me a, an outlet for an area of passion of mine that I didn't have previously. It's it's I love it,
0: and something you want to continue doing it seems, at least for a little while.
1: Yeah, yeah. We we need to make as long as yeah. you know. And, and it's so funny. You know, it's one of the other things I guess with you have Hemisphere reviews and we have the one prime plus stuff, which is the the Patreon. This is not paying its way, right? <laughs> we've never even we've never even really emptied the tin. Of, you know the money that's in there it just sits in there and it doesn't i think it's kind of like i would be very happy with it being just as it is or i'd be very happy if it was suddenly paying me two hundred thousand dollars a year right in the middle somewhere like where you're kind of it's kind of half a job but it's not a full job i think that would be the worst outcome at the moment it's a hobby and the people who really love it contribute at it was almost like it's a thank you, it's, and that's all it is, and that's how I think it should be seen. This is not our job, and I think that's what makes it special. Otherwise, it becomes a job, and then it, it's a totally different beast. They're the two angles. I'm just really thankful we're not halfway, halfway in between where we don't know what we are.
0: You think that would kind of dilute the passion? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. I think it would make it – Who's who are we serving? You know, because then you start to get into the, you know, are we, are we serving advertisers? Are we serving listeners? Are we serving ourselves? Are we serving, you know, are we trying to get big so we can go into YouTube and really become famous? What are we doing? Whereas at the moment, it's quite clearly evident that we are a, a small group with a passion and we're doing this as a passion passionate enterprise. Now, if it's like I said, if it suddenly goes to like we're each earning $200,000 a year, I'm not going to say no and I'll take it. <laughs> but it would change the show. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either, to be honest. <laughs> but it would change the nature of things. Yeah, it would be very difficult to maintain it and you'd have to be cognizant of the fact that it was a different thing with different pressures, Yeah.
0: Now, I'm mindful of the time. Yes. And I don't want to take you away from important family commitments and I think you've really summed up Hemispheric Views beautifully there as that kind of group case study that we have. Is there anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up?
1: Um, Not really. I think the only thing I'd say is my whole podcast adventure, it's been a long, long meandering journey. And I think that if you had told me, when I first started listening to Adam Curry, if you said, Andrew, eventually you're going to be sitting here talking about, talking to a guy in Wollongong about a podcast that you both have and you're doing basketball commentary, I would have just been mind-blown. But I also would have thought, that's pretty damn cool and that's not going to happen because I'm no way do I have the skills or the courage to do any of those things, and yet here I sit. <laughs> and I think that's really fun. And it never would have happened without podcasting.
0: That's a great way to sum it up. And I think a good message for people who are thinking about pursuing their interests to just do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like you, Martin, you're doing it and you've got like 20 years head start on me. So yeah, the world is your oyster.
0: Oh, it's not a competition, (laughs) but thank you, Andrew. I think that's your, that's your sport persona coming (laughs) out there. Don't get
1: into NBL. Okay. I don't need any more competition.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think you're pretty safe. I'll steer clear. (laughs) But look, this has been great. Thank you very much, Andrew, for sharing your story on really specific stories. Uh, It's been a pleasure.
1: Absolute delight. Thank you.